This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Hello, hello, all of my beautiful freaking people. Welcome back to another episode of FML Talk. Today, we are flying solo and we are talking all things toxic love. It's a doozy, y'all. Sit back, grab a drink, and welcome to FML Talk. Oh my God. Wait, how old was the other girl? 19. Can you believe that shit? Hey, this is Gabrielle Stone. Good book. I did not <gasps> he did what? 48 hours? What a dick. Yeah, but have you seen all the photos on her Instagram? And this is FML Talk. Oh, no, she didn't. So we've all, unfortunately, at one time or another, have experienced toxicity in our lives, whether that be toxic love in a relationship, toxic friendships, toxic work environments, the list goes on. But More often than not, we have experienced this more than one time in our lives at different levels. And for me, the toxic love has really been prevalent in the recent years of my life. Luckily, I am out of that now, but looking back on all of it, I can so clearly see warning signs and red flags that I so blindly missed. And I wanted to do an episode that really focuses on really recognizing the toxicity that enters into our lives and how to get it the fuck out. But before we can do that and get the uh the toxicity out of out of our lives we need to be able to recognize it first and for me that took a long it was a long journey to uh to get to really realizing that uh, my definition of love had become fucking toxic and when you have a toxic definition of something in your life, in your consciousness, or in your subconscious, you are undoubtedly going to attract that into your life, and it's going to show up time and time again. So I'm going to give you guys, to start this episode off, a little uh, sneak peek of book number two, which by the time this episode airs, we will be literally right around the corner. So if you are listening to this, get get ready. I hope you guys are rereading Eat, Pray, FML in preparation for the second book because it is a direct sequel and we pick up right where we left off. And I'm not announcing the release date. It's just gonna drop and be available. Um, so this is your fair warning that it's it's coming and we are on the precipice of that day, finally. Oh my God, I can't believe it's this close. Um, so I hope you're rereading and getting ready. And now to start this episode off, I am going to give you a sneak peek of a really juicy fucking thought onion that is very relevant to this episode. Here it is. 
How on earth did I get here? I thought to myself. So many things had changed in my life over the course of two years. I was no longer married, thank God. I had gotten my heart broken for the first time, which fucking sucked. I had shifted into a new career path when I wrote a book about it all. Totally life-changing. And most recently, I had decided to run away from the one person I had felt truly safe with. Ever. Why, Gabrielle? What was missing for you? As I looked over the incredible scenery before me, I smiled because it was not a bad freaking place for a thought onion. Superficial thought? There was something missing in my relationship with Tyler. Yes, thank you, superficial brain, for stating the fucking obvious. Hopefully the authentic thought can be a little more helpful than that. I didn't feel that intoxicating passion I felt with Javier. Interesting choice of words there, Gabrielle. Yes, my fast and furious relationship with Javier had been a constant intense honeymoon because he fucking broke up with you before it could go anywhere else. With Tyler, I had felt passion. I had felt love. I had felt deeply connected. I had felt all those things. So what was underneath it all? My definition of love is fucking toxic. What? No, I grew up witnessing healthy, amazing soulmate love. My parents were the epitome of that. Well, yes, and then he died, my heart reminded me. And so the belief was created, when I love someone, they die. Okay, then I had what I would consider a pretty happy and healthy relationship with my college sweetheart. Sure, until you got bored because he became like your best friend. My brain rolled its imaginary eyes at me. That cemented the false belief. Love is boring without drama. Oh, what I wouldn't give to have never picked up that terrible belief. Years later, I entered into a relationship that turned into a marriage with more toxic and narcissistic traits than I care to list. My relationship with Daniel was the definition of toxic, and it was my first real-life experience of marriage. This is where I welcomed a new belief. I can't trust someone who says they love me. That was then thrust back into my face tenfold when Javier decided to leave me sitting on my bed, wallowing in my tears after he had made me feel like I was his forever. Well, shit. I guess my definition of love is fucking toxic. Tyler hadn't died. He wasn't boring. He hadn't vowed to love me and then abandoned me. He wasn't toxic. And apparently, a part of me had been conditioned into thinking that feeling was a requirement for love. How incredibly fucked up is that? Whew. Seriously, even reading back over that, um, I remember exactly where I was sitting when I uncovered all of this subconscious goodness. And it really smacked me in the fucking face. We've talked about it a bit on this show um, back in the love bombing episode where I realized that, that that fire and that toxicity that I had come to associate with Javier at the time um, was something that I was then searching for. And because it was missing from my current relationship, I felt like, oh, this must not be it. There has to be something that's that's missing here. There has to be something more that I need to go search for and find. 
And the realization that I had always thought that my definition of love was totally healthy because I had grown up watching my two parents be in this beautiful relationship and that I had always had, you know, what I would consider solid and healthy relationships growing up. Um, to then realize that things that I had been through and things that I had gone through in my life had conditioned me to associate love with something that was negative um, was a huge fucking eye-opener for me. So I think it's really important when we go through, even if they're not crazy you know, relationships that blow up in your face like mine were, um, that we really sit down and look at relationships when they end and see, okay, what might I have picked up from this relationship? Even if it's a friendship um, or a work dynamic, anything that has had an impact on your life and took up a significant amount of space in your body, mind, and soul and heart um, to really sit down and say, okay, what did I pick up from this relationship? What were the things that I now associate with a relationship or with love or with pain? And list those things out. And I bet when you go back and take a look at that list, you'll be like, oh shit, this was never a thing for me before this relationship, or this was never something that I would say was true before I experienced it in this relationship. And if it's a negative thing, make sure that you take note of that and are able to then say, okay, this is not something I want to take forward into future relationships. This is not something that I want to put in my toolbox and carry around with me. You know, that's a shitty tool. <laughs> um, it's really, really important to be able to look at what we pick up along the way in this life. And when we can be very conscious of that along the way, that's going to save you a whole bunch of fucking grief and heartache when you wake up years down the road and realize that you picked up something when you were 12 or 13. You know, it's going to allow you to at least have some awareness around what to look out for or what to not take forward into that next relationship in your life. So if I would have taken what I know now and done that after these two toxic relationships that I referenced in that thought onion, I would have had a laundry list of things for my relationship with Daniel. I mean, the toxicity in that relationship were like, if you want to talk about red flags, that's like going to the fucking NASCAR races and just flying everywhere in front of your face. Um, some of those would be, I, I mean, they go so far back to the very beginning. We talk about love bombing and I always you know, reference my relationship with Javier when we talk about love bombing, but there was definitely some love bombing going on in my relationship with Daniel. And I don't know if we've ever talked about how our relationship initially started, but we had met randomly at a club and ran into each other. And 
you know, he was promoting at the club. And so it was like buying drinks for everyone at his table. And I was there with uh, Jess and one of our other friends. And we ended up going to their table and talking to them. And he told me that he knew me from a class that we took. Uh, it was one of those adult school classes, not normal not like in your normal curriculum. We would go twice a week at night. And I went with Jake at the time, my high school sweetheart. And so I had no idea who he was because I was 16 and going to an adult school class with the then love of my life. And he was like, yeah. And when Jake died and you posted about it, I actually screenshotted the post you made on MySpace because it was that long ago. And then he went on to tell me how he emailed it to himself and felt so, you know, heartbroken for me over all of it. And at the time, I was like, oh, my God, that's so sweet. And, you know, not thinking that that was creepy whatsoever. And after that night, he followed me on Facebook, followed me on Instagram and more or less proceeded to, like, stalk me. But at the time, I thought it was endearing. And um, we ended up going out a few more times in like a group setting and you know the rest is unfortunate history but in the first eight months that we were together before he proposed i mean it was constant um showering me with like gifts and doing really extravagant things none of which i was asking for um the the first Valentine's Day we spent together, which was like two and a half months in. He took me to Napa and we did, you know, wine tours and stayed at this beautiful hotel. And it was always very extravagant with Daniel. Um, and that was nothing that I was used to when we had met. And that was where the love bombing kind of started. It was, let me shower you with gifts and like make you feel like you're on this pedestal and which all sounds fine and fucking dandy until you add in the toxic elements that were going on. So when I would go to the gym and work out, it was, you know, don't wear a sports bra, only sluts, you know, show up to the to the gym in sports bras. And he had such a problem whenever I would go on location and be even in the presence of male co-stars when we weren't shooting like if we all went out to dinner it was like calls every five minutes and where the fuck are you and i don't feel comfortable that you're out with them and just really a lot of insecure things and those would turn into huge blow-up fights which then once we calm down and talk through them, he would be like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Let's go to dinner. Or I'm so sorry. Let's go to the spa for a day. Or I'm so sorry. Let's plan a vacation, which is so toxic. And I look back on it thinking, God, Gabrielle, how the fuck did you A, not see that, B, allow that to happen because it completely just let him justify the behavior. And I was so wrapped up in this cycle that I couldn't take a step back at the time to see how fucking toxic it truly was. Then when, you know, Casey comes on and shares all this stuff that I even had no idea about in her episode, it's like, then you look back and you say, well, even if I did step back and look at all those 
toxic traits and cycles. Were we beyond that in like a sociopathic sense of where you were just making me feel like the center of your world and like showering me with all this stuff? And then without me even asking for any of it and then going to all of your friends and saying, oh my God, she's crazy and she's draining my pockets and making me spend all this money. It When I heard the the stories that Casey had to say, it really was, it was hilarious to be honest in one sense. But at the same time, I had always looked at Daniel and thought that somewhere along the way in our marriage that like a a switch flipped and i don't know if it was a a chemical imbalance or he had just hidden who he really was for so long and something just changed because when the news about our divorce broke i mean everyone was shocked my friends my family my mother whose intuition is like a fucking ninja like Everybody was blown away. Like, not Daniel. He was the last person in a million years that we could ever think would do something like that. And hearing all of this stuff from Casey was like, oh, this shit was going on way before we even got fucking married. Like, you were being two separate people before we even tied the knot that's really deep that for a human to to feel those feelings and portray their future wife in such a light to the people closest to you to you know for whatever reason whether it was to look cool or because you truly felt that way but then to go through with marrying someone like why even put that on your own shoulders that must have been the most miserable two years to try and then, you know, be like, no, guys, I'm fine. It's great. We're really happy after basically saying, like, I don't know why I'm going to get married. <laughs> it must have been exhausting. I-, I don't know why someone would ever choose to do that and then inevitably, like, blow your fucking life up. So it was really eye opening for me to be like, okay, even if I would have. Not that I didn't see the toxic cycles that I was in. I did to some degree, but I always convinced myself, oh, we'll go to therapy. Oh, we'll work on it. Oh, it'll be fine. We'll make it through. You know, he he met me as an actress. He knows my career. We're, we're going to work through it in therapy and it'll be fine. Um, even with that knowledge, there was no way that I could have ever known what was being said about me behind my back because the person that was in front of me was an entirely different person. And I'm sure if Casey and her then boyfriend would have seen the Daniel that was in front of me and my friends, they would have had their jaws on the floor as well because it was literally like two different people were existing to please two different parties of people. Um, which is so, it like kind of makes my skin crawl to think that not only is someone capable of that, but that they would put themselves through that. It just seems like such a waste of time and money and energy to do all of those things. 
So from <laughs> from the toxic bullshit that existed in my marriage and then divorce, um, we jump straight into the whirlwind known as Javier. And of course, in the the few weeks that I was out of the house and had come to terms with all the shit that was going on in my life, uh, did I sit down and write that list about the uh, the things that I could have potentially picked up from this disastrous fucking relationship? No, ladies and gentlemen, no, I did not. Because if I would have, it might have given me a small insight into some uh, some traits that I was taking forward and some beliefs that I was now carrying. One of those being that the, and this was before I remember that I knew anything about love bombing or what the fuck that even meant, but that love bombing and the traits that came with that was a good thing because the last relationship I had been in when it was good and amazing before, you know, we got married and it all went to shit, started with love bombing and, you know, extravagant vacations and spending all this time together and feeling like this person was absolutely obsessed with me. And that's exactly what I walked into. I don't know if you guys can hear it in my voice, but I'm literally kind of having this realization as as I speak into this microphone. Um Wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> so uh, we fall into uh, into the arms of Javier, and at the time, I wouldn't. Again, I wouldn't have said any of it was toxic. Different than Daniel. Daniel, I can look back and still be like, I recognize that there were unhealthy habits and that there was some toxic things going on. I just assumed that we would work through it and and make it fine in some way. With Javier, I didn't see any of that from the very beginning. And it's interesting because so many people that were in my life, I don't know if it was just because they were scared to see me get hurt again or because it felt like we were moving so fast after this like really shocking divorce took place. But so many people in my life were very wary of the situation. Um, my mother, a lot of my really close girlfriends. And looking back on it, uh, I can see the the warning signs now. Um knowing what I know. So we've talked about love bombing before, but for a refresher, it can happen. I I think that there's two different ways it can happen. It can happen from a narcissistic standpoint where someone quite literally sees you and is like, this is the person that I want to sink my claws into and bring into my world. And, you know, there's very textbook signs to identify when it's happening. Actually, I have a list and I'm going to read them to you now. Um, this is from 13 Signs of Love Bombing. See if uh, any of these sound familiar to you or to my story. One, they make grand romantic gestures, give extravagant gifts. Check. <laughs> they always compliment you. They promote excessive communication. They request constant attention. They demand commitment. They resist your boundaries. They make soulmate claims. <clears throat> they say, I love you very quickly. They are good at saying what you want to hear. 
They feel too good to be true. They make you feel like you're being saved. Whoo, that's a fucking doozy. They make immediate promises about the future. This is fucking ridiculous, you guys. Um, And they put you on a pedestal. So let's just unpack all that shit for a second. Um, That, God, I mean, I can literally draw um, lines from each of those to the different men that we're discussing right now. But... So there's the narcissistic ones that are aware of this and are doing this on purpose to really like pull you in and and have that control over you, which is the beginning of a cycle of, you know, mental, physical, emotional abuse, which is inevitably what I feel like was going on in my marriage. And then I think there's the unconscious love bombing, which is what I feel like happened with Javier. I don't think that it was ill-intentioned. I don't think that he was malicious about any of it, but did a lot of the things on that list happen regardless? Yes. Um, So the unconscious aspect of love bombing is when someone is broken inside or unhealed inside or hurting inside, and they're so badly looking to fill that void within themselves, and they see that the person across from them is someone that is going to f- maybe fill them up in some way and bring them happiness and that they could fall in love with. And maybe this will, maybe falling in love with this person will make my pain go away and then everything will be answered and I won't feel this fucking awful weight on my chest anymore. And then a lot of the things on that list start happening. And eventually that person will realize that you're not going to fill them up because nobody can fucking do that except for yourself. And then they panic and leave or bail in some form. So for me, taking into account what I now know, were there red flags with the Javier situation? Um, yeah. Do I think one of that one of those red flags would have been more obvious if the loss of his brother would have seemed more recent and like he was still really wrestling with it? Yes, that was not portrayed to me in the severity that it ended up being those first five days that we were together. We talked about everything openly and discussed it a lot, but it never seemed like it was someone that was still in the throes and pits of grief and depression around it Um, because that would have been a very, very big sign for me. And the speed that it all went, which he initiated, but I allowed was definitely not necessary. It didn't have to be that quick. I didn't have to be being called the girlfriend three days in. Um, And I think that the speed of all of it and the momentum that was moving and the, the titles that got placed on things right away and the plans that were being made, that was definitely a red flag. 
Was I able to see it when I was in it and just allowing myself to say yes and fall? Fuck no, of course I didn't. Um, Were people on the outside able to see it? Yeah, 100%. But we've talked about this too. You're never going to be able to tell someone that has those fucking goggles on and they're so deep in it that there's something that they should be looking out for or being more aware of. They're never going to see it when they're when they're in the height of the honeymoon stage. So let's take a turn now and go from love bombing to breadcrumbing. Uh, I love <laughs> that this is legitimately in the Urban Dictionary now, um, and a lot of people don't know the term for it. So let me teach you now. Breadcrumbing, when the person has no intentions of taking things further, but they like the attention. So they flirt here and there, send DMs or texts just to keep the person interested, knowing damn well they're staying single. So I feel like we've all fucking gone through this at one point or another. When someone is has made you feel like they're interested in some form and hasn't fully stepped forward and committed, but Every so often we'll send a text or be like, you know, sending something that makes you feel like, oh, shit, well, maybe they're interested. Um, This is fucking bullshit. So let's all (laughs) collectively understand what breadcrumbing is and agree and make a pact to not fucking allow it because it's it's whack. Um, The best example I will be able to give you is literally the entirety of book two. I say in my um, embarrassed (laughs) regret. So when I was experiencing this, I didn't know the term breadcrumbing. So what I would have described it as was leaving the door a little bit cracked. I've always said that exes have this like internal alarm clock and it goes off one of two times. One is when everything is fucking going absolutely smoothly in your life and you're like, you know, shitting out rainbows and hopping along and just living your merry self and ding, ding, ding. They're like, everything must be going great in Gabrielle's life. I should fucking text her. (laughs) That's the first one. Or when you're super fucking vulnerable and will just blindly look past every red flag and wrongdoing that they've done in the past. The worst two fucking times that an ex could ever reach out. Um, And breadcrumbing became something that Javier was very good at that you will be reading about in book two. And looking back on it in some of these edits, um, it's just, it's been really wild. And it's brought up a lot of different emotions in me. There's been some moments of how the fuck did I not see this? There's been some moments of how do you think this is okay? Um, A lot of different emotions (laughs) have have surfaced around this particular. thing. And I'm not going to say that he was doing it intentionally. I'm not going to say he was doing it unintentionally. I'm sure there's times that people do this because they are genuinely trying to figure out if 
they want a person in their life and they're on their own healing journeys and that's all fine and good. But I want to teach y'all what the fuck this is so that you can realize it and recognize it and then not fucking accept it. If he is texting you random little tidbits that give you any type of hope and then disappearing for weeks at a time without any communication, cut that shit off. If he is randomly calling you to check in and making you feel a certain type of way and saying certain things and then disappearing and not following through with said things, cut that shit off. If he is hanging out with you randomly and not being consistent about it, cut that shit off. Because at the end of the fucking day, you guys allowing someone to continually grasp your attention and warrant your time without putting any real, real work in or justifiable effort in, then we are simply allowing them to give the bare fucking minimum to keep you open as an option. Let's say it again for the people in the back. If we allow this to happen, then we are simply letting them give the bare minimum to keep you open as an option. And you, my friend, are not a fucking option. You are a damn prize that deserves to be worked for, to be shown up for, to have communication, to have all the things that you're supposed to thrive off of. Do not accept anything less than that. Because at the end of the day, y'all, it can come wrapped in a fucking, oh, I really care about you or, oh, I'm healing or, oh, this has been really hard for me too and I'm trying to figure my shit out. But no matter what bullshit it's wrapped in, that is straight up fuckboy energy. And we do not want to be dealing with that. It never leads anywhere good. It's never going to change. They're never going to grow up and realize that, like, you know, you're fucking some amazing, incredible person that they have to be with. You need to believe them when they show you these traits. And, like, Godspeed, I hope they go off and heal and fix their own shit and come out a better human and have incredible relationships in the future. But, It's your responsibility to not allow that behavior and to demand more than that behavior. Because when we settle for that behavior, we are not only allowing it, but we are also telling our subconscious and telling the universe, yes, I deserve and therefore I will attract more of this behavior because this is fine for me. I'm good with this. Fuck that shit, y'all. Big freaking no. If I can teach you anything in this episode, it's that you have to be able to identify the behaviors that are going on in your relationship dynamics and then say, 
no, I am not accepting A, B, and C list of bullshit. I am going to start attracting this list and start creating this list because this is what I demand, this is what I am worth, and this is what should be showing up in my life. And until you say no to the toxic traits and the bullshit breadcrumbing and the love bombing and the negative stuff that is happening in those relationship dynamics, you're not going to have room to create the healthy ones. So if you're one of the people that DM me saying, I don't know what to do. I keep attracting these bullshit men that are making me feel worthless or that are cheating on me or that are fucking me over. There's something in you that's creating that. I know it's very jarring to hear that at first. It feels like you're being attacked. I get it. Um, It's happened with me many times when my mom has looked at me (laughs) and been like, okay, point the finger back at yourself. And I'm like, bitch, this is not my problem. This shit's happening to me. It's, It's not, guys. We are in some way, shape, or form attracting all of the things that are coming into our life. So if you are not happy with the shit that is coming into your life, Look inside and see what you need to fix or adjust, what beliefs you have about yourself that might be attracting this stuff, what you are allowing in your life that is telling the universe, oh, she must be okay with that, so let's keep sending her that shit. It's it's really starts within you. And the first step to creating what you do want is to say, fuck no to what you know you don't want. Because it wasn't until I said I'm fucking done no more to all of the things that were happening in my life that were so far below what I truly deserved that I was able to open up myself for all of the good shit that was trying to come in. I was quite literally holding it at an arm's length because I hadn't put my fucking foot down and said, no, I'm not taking all of this bullshit anymore. Um, and you guys will read this so clearly in book two, how much of a difference that one decision can make when you fully choose you. Because at the end of the day, that's the one thing that's most important in any decision you're trying to make. Whether it's, do I go back to this person or do I trust so-and-so with my heart or do I take the, the leap to leave this job that's been draining me? No matter what the question is that you're facing or the decision that you're facing in life, it comes back to the core of it. Is this putting me first? Is this best for me? Is this going to push forward my happiness? And if it doesn't, then that means it's not aligned with you. And if you're not in alignment with what you're truly wanting for yourself, you're never going to have room for the good, healthy, amazing type of love and work life and friendships, and experiences that we are all so desperately fucking craving. And I cannot stress this enough. This is not just for romantic dynamics in your life. There are toxic friendships that need to be cut the fuck out 
of your life. I, over the years, look back at people that have been in my life, and I am so freaking protective of my peace now that I have acquaintances and I have people that I will gladly, you know, have a group wine night with and and hang out with. But the people that are my true friends that are in my circle are few and far between. And it's gotten smaller over the years um, because I will not keep people in my life that don't align with pushing my spirit forward and vice versa. And that's so important to be able to look at friendships and be like, is this dynamic serving me? Is this dynamic serving them? And is is there any toxicity in this friendship that's like bringing me down or drama that's continually pulling me into the shit? That's a really big thing to make sure that all of your different relationships in your life, romantic or not, are in alignment with being healthy in your life. Okay. I feel like I went into a little bit of a tizzy in this episode, but there was a lot of important stuff in here. So we are going to now get into your FML stories. Here we go. Hey, Gabrielle, this is Chelsea, and this is my FML story. Part one, I met my boyfriend in high school. He was a year younger than I and totally won me over the whole flowers, candy, sweet little notes, the whole nine yards. It was puppy love at best, and we got hot and heavy quickly. Uh, He lost his virginity to me. Super unintentional on my part. But that caused a series of control issues, and he needed to know where I was, where, when I was there, and how I was getting there, and had control of my phone, told me I wasn't allowed to be around my family, and then he got a job at the same grocery store as I did, and often switched his shifts so that we would work the same shifts so he could watch me at all times. I... Fast forward to graduation, I was getting ready to go to college, and he quote-unquote kidnapped me of sorts. He convinced me to go to his house, which is a 10-mile drive away, and I got in his truck, and I figured we were just going to end things. It was going to be fine. He drove me to his house and locked the doors in the house, so I was stuck in the house, and I kept trying to break up with him, and he kept trying to propose to me, which is stupid. Who wants to be engaged at 17? And his mom came home and told me that I was the one being irrational and that I was breaking her son's heart. I managed to escape their house and I ran to the highway where a friend picked me up and drove me home. That wasn't it though because they followed us home and then his mom stood in my front yard and demanded that I gave him back anything that he ever bought for me, which was a lot. Here comes part two. Um, okay. It's always really concerning to me when the parents are just as crazy as the kids are in the scenarios. Um, first of all, I've had my fair share of dramatic, over dramatic relationships in high school. I think everybody has, but to to kidnap you and lock you in the house is a 
that's that's a new that's a new level not fucking okay dude um and the mom to to instigate all of that is wild to me okay i'm i don't know about y'all i'm ready for part two hey gabrielle this is my fml story part two so she starts demanding that i give him back all these items and he over the couple of years he had bought me an ipod he had bought me a jewelry box he had bought me clothes all these things, and which probably came from her pocket too, I guess. We had to call the cops. They got involved and asked him to leave our property. Um, fast forward, so we break up. And then I go off to college, and I start dating other guys. And he keeps calling. He keeps texting. He keeps searching Facebook. And um, he would find things, pictures of me, and comment on them. And just keep himself involved as in my life. When I was single, I kind of went back to him, which was a stupid, stupid decision on my part. And it was kind of off and on for a couple more years until I met my now husband. Fast forward to 2013, I marry my husband. And every three to six months, Michael keeps commenting on my Facebook posts, like the old memory posts that pop up. And he was like, yeah, I love you too. Thanks, babe. You're the best. Yes, I love you so much. And I finally called him out last year. So 2020 was my breakout year. I called him out on his bullshit, said, do you think this is fucking funny for you to keep commenting on this? Like, I, my husband and I are celebrating eight years of marriage this year. I am not in any way stepping out on my husband. He's the best thing that ever happened to me. What the hell are you think you're doing? He starts laughing, but this dickhead has receipts of all the times I ever did him wrong and started sending me pictures and photos of when I wasn't with him and I must have been cheating on him freaking goes crazy on me happily to say now that I blocked him off of all my social media outlets to remove his number from my phone and cut him out of my life completely it was about damn time okay what the actual fuck <laughs> um I swear you can't plan this. My producer sends me the FML stories as I'm recording episodes. I listen to them for the first time and then do the commentary on them. But girl, it sounds like there was a little bit of love bombing and then a little bit of breadcrumbing and then a little bit of psychosis after that. That's fucking wild to be that invested and still involved eight years after something has happened. That's that's a little scary. Um, so I'm glad you finally blocked him on everything. I'm telling you guys, it's life-changing when you block people on social media and just don't look at their stuff and don't ever engage. It can move mountains in your mental health. So highly recommend and good for you, girl. What a wild story. Thank you for sharing. Next week, everybody, I am bringing on Shanae Grimes Beach. You know her from 90210. She also hosts Unzipped, that new podcast we chatted about a few episodes back with Annalyn McCord. And I so loved chatting with her. It felt like two girlfriends getting together over wine and 
we talked about all the things from how growing up in the film industry has really shaped her and left some interesting scars on her growing up and how coming from a divorced household and the relationship with her dad really changed how her relationship dynamic worked as an adult. And it's really just a fun episode. So I am very excited to welcome Shanae onto FML Talk next week. As always, make sure you guys are subscribed so you never miss an episode. Keep up with us on Instagram at FML Talk Podcast for all the behind the scenes goodies. Again, if you are not rereading Eat, Pray, FML, I highly suggest you get on it because we are so close to being at the release of book number two, y'all. I am so ready to share the final chapter of this fucking wild journey with you all. Until next week, write down that list of shit that you've picked up from past relationships and have a self-love cocktail on me. Cheers. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a fertility physician and co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. We will talk about a wide range of topics, including the menstrual cycle, your hormones, infertility, IVF, mental health, and well, beyond. So join us and become part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. This podcast has been brought to you by Podcast Nation.